James, I think that we are getting kind of somewhat known for having uh, deeper (laughs) episodes in our looking over life side of the podcast anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, we keep telling ourselves that we're going to we're going to avoid some of the the deeper topics and 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 get to some of the lighter ones but uh, we somehow get ourselves tangled into these into these deeper ones some way or another yeah, but it seems like i guess it. that's because of what life brings us maybe yeah i think so <laughs> you just experienced a, a loss there you and your family uh with your with your uncle and he wasn't what we would consider that old, was he? Yeah, he was just 53. So, yeah, Uncle Dave died early Monday morning. I got woken up at about one thirty in the morning and had a phone call with my uncle and the doctors, and uh, he uh, he passed away shortly after that. So, yeah, it was a, wasn't really a shock. He'd been sick for about two weeks, but also it was a bit of a shock that he went downhill as fast as he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did have one uncle that died about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Our firstborn son, Jimmy, was just a month or so old at this point, and we were actually having some uh, my cousin and and her wife and some others. Okay, can cut out some of this here, and another couple. We all had our our children right around the same time, and we were. I forget if we had pizza or something, and we were taking a few pictures of the boys. Well, we all had boys, all three couples, and got a call. And they, in about 45 seconds, they had left the house because they had heard that my uncle had had fallen down and wasn't responding. And uh, yeah, it turns out he had he almost within minutes he he had died of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my that was my first uncle aunt or uncle to die and he would have been who i actually don't know how old he was he would have been in his 60s early 60s maybe mid 60s he mm-hmm. was fairly young which his father had died my grandfather had died when he was in his late 50s early 60s i think too yeah so anyway this is the first uncle from my dad's side of the family to have died so yeah it's kind of makes you think a little bit it kind of feels at least for me, it feels like when you're kind of in your childhood, it feels like all of your aunts and uncles and even some of your cousins, they're kind of all about the same age. You don't really think about people getting right. that older. Um, occasionally, yeah. you notice, hey, um, this this uncle has not quite as much hair as he used to, and his hair is getting kind of gray and <laughs> getting some wrinkles uh, and things. But then it really starts getting driven home when, when your uh, aunts and uncles start dying. You realize, wow, they are actually... They are actually getting older life and time's moving on. Yeah. end of the future <laughs> i guess yeah also thinking about that there's this uh false sense of security maybe that comes with our extended life expectancy mm-hmm. i don't know if you've ever can considered that that recent generation or two has really jumped ahead in life expectancy mm-hmm. and you know they're getting closer to what 80 years old for life expectancy and that wasn't that way so very long ago yeah it's interesting you mentioned that because just in the last number of months LaShonda was asked to do a to typeset a cemetery records book for one of the horse and buggy churches around here uh, okay well it's a it's kind of a 
a, a group of churches. Um, I don't know if it's called a conference, but it's a it's about a group of churches here in the local area. And so she went and was writing down all these different people that had died. The cemetery, I think the first person in the cemetery was in 1903. So it wasn't, this wasn't the 1800s. This was 1900s. I mean, probably a a reasonable number of our listeners were born in the 1900s. (laughs) And she was astonished at the number of infants and toddlers that died the first number of, of people they put in the cemetery, I mean, it was infant, 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 two-year-old, three-year-old, one-year-old, six-month-year-old, six-month-year-old, six-month-old. There's a number of mothers buried with their babies. They had they had died during childbirth, mm-hmm. and their, their babies had died as well. So, yeah, it was definitely, I think, it's it's fairly recent that we have been kind of more like where death is the exception. Yeah. <laughs> like where death is this extraordinary thing, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, at least my perspective. You know, before most families would have one, two, three children that would not make it to adulthood. And it was just common. I mean, it, and sometimes I wonder how that affects the way that they viewed life and death. and. Certainly, it probably affects the way we view life and death when death is the exception rather than just part of <laughs> death is, you know, death was just part of life, if that makes sense. Right. And that's what we want to, that's what we want to think about a little bit in this episode is about death, about loss, about separation, how we view it, think about it, how it affects us. I the way that you said that that death is becoming the exception I think very much captures the what I was feeling or what I was thinking and in my lifetime I know of people with what would have been life-ending diseases who whose life continues to be extended because of where medicine or technology or whatever the case might be is helping to make this possible Mm -hmm. even in the case of my grandfather my mom's dad he had emphysema and when i was a year old he was told by doctors that he didn't have long to live because of a condition in his lungs that made it very likely that a a a mold or a fungus would grow because Mm -hmm. of he, he had yeah, black lung or miner's lung or something to that effect. I forget what it was called. And uh, he lived, yeah, something like 30 years more huh, wow. uh, beyond that diagnosis. And it was just, he was right on the, the cutting edge, I guess, of that. I don't know, technology isn't the word, just that advancement in medicine, I suppose. But eventually, eventually he did pass. Mm-hmm. 25, 25, 30 years later, something like that. I forget which year it was exactly anymore. But it does make us feel like maybe we could live forever if we can (laughs) just keep on getting rid of polio and advancing vaccines and (laughs) whatever else. Yeah. Well, there's one thing I want to point out, and that is that the, the increase in average life expectancy is somewhat deceptive mm-hmm. because a lot of the it's so for instance if life expectancy in the early 1900s i think it was maybe around 50 something like that it was it and yeah. so we have this picture that when people got to 50 they just kind of started dropping over they well, all died <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not that's not the case what it was is you had a lot more young people that were dying mm-hmm. of of what are now preventable diseases or uh, just death during during childbirth you know we have better we have we can we can do cesarean sections that very invasive but they can save the life of the of the child and of the mother mm-hmm. if things start going badly and I have a not a terribly close friend but but one that I was in youth group with um, and she was having their second or third child, I can't remember, and had had a ruptured, uh, her uterus just completely ruptured, just like tore mm-hmm. 
I mean, she would, I, I feel quite certain she would have died if she wouldn't have been able to go to the hospital and be able to have some surgery and maybe get some units of blood and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then it would have been her husband and her, her surviving children. And he would have, have had to survive without her for a while. Yeah. And, and that's just one of many, many stories that we're all quite familiar with. I mean, just something as simple as antibiotics. As far as antibiotics, it was discovered when they realized this mold was producing some sort of compound that seemed to be killing bacteria. So they, they tried to grow some of this mold and, and purify the compound that was that was causing this. And they wanted to use it on somebody to see how it worked. And this man had, I think, pricked his finger with a rose thorn or scratched his finger with a rose thorn. Mm-hmm. And it had started maybe getting gangrenous. Like uh, he got a really bad infection from it. Mm-hmm. And they they gave him some of this some of this penicillin. And he started getting better. Well, unfortunately, they didn't have enough to keep giving it to him. And so he then regressed and eventually then died from the infection. Mm. That was, I mean, it was scratching your finger on a rose thorn. <laughs> and today we get yeah. a bad infection. We go to the doctor, spend a couple minutes there. They look at us. Okay, here's here's your antibiotics. We go and buy antibiotics for $10, $20. I mean, nothing really. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we would have gotten over it eventually on our own, but certainly antibiotics have saved probably more lives than just about anything else. Yeah. If you read any older books, you know, like uh, some of Jane Austen's books, for example, the people who got sick in those books always had to be sent, you know, to the sea or something. And they had to live abroad for a year or three years until they got better. And we just don't see that today. People bounce back from their sicknesses really quickly even in my case, I've struggled with weaker lungs most of my life, been hospitalized several times with bad pneumonia, and uh, even coming through COVID, I've had COVID now five times, <laughs> and each of those times I ended up with a lung infection that had to be treated with antibiotics. Uh, I'm actually on <laughs> I'm actually on antibiotics right now for a lung infection coming out of my fifth time with COVID. And I wondered about that if I would if it would be the eighteen hundreds, would I still be alive or would I would have been one of those people that would have died at at thirteen or fifteen with uh his first case of pneumonia. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, just recently we had a brush with death here with uh, you know, my wife having the baby and it got really scary there. I'm I'm fairly confident that she would not have survived uh, if if it would have been in other circumstances. So we start thinking then about, uh, you know, this dad with having to raise nine children, how that would be, or this idea of, of separation, of loss. Maybe looking at it from your perspective, first of all, James, you're you kind of mentioned that you're maybe stepping into a new season of your life with it's now coming to the place where it's a reality where aunts and uncles are mm-hmm. are coming to the end of life. How how does that affect you? What are some thoughts that you've had maybe even just this week? Well, I mean I've I've I know that my that my parents are getting older. My dad is going to be turning 63 this year. So he is about 10 years older than my uncle that just died. When you're younger, your, your parents are, they've always been there. You, I mean, you know that, especially once you get a little bit older, you know that eventually they're going to pass on, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really like, it's kind of hard to really internalize that or really make it feel like it's real. But I definitely feel like it's, getting a bit more real for sure there there's a there's a latin latin phrase i guess memento mori have you ever heard of that mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and it, it basically is translated as remember that you have to die or remember <laughs> that you will die mm-hmm. um, and it sounds i mean a lot of people think that is really depressing and like why would you why would you be thinking about your own death and you certainly could allow it to drag you down and make you, yeah, just give up hope and say, well, 
I'm just going to die just like everybody else before me. And what's the point? Mm-hmm. But to me, it's, um, I think it can be good to occasionally think about that. Think about that reality that everybody, you know, life, life is uh, terminal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, we're all, you know, before, you know, there's some that will be still alive when the Lord returns, but until that moment, it's going to be this constant stream of, of people dying and it doesn't matter how, how strong you are now or how important you are or you think you are, uh, it's going to come to everybody. And yesterday I was asked to give, give a devotional and I gave a devotional on Ecclesiastes <laughs> and there's certainly some, some good things there to kind of help you take stock of, mm-hmm. of what's important and what's not because Solomon had made some pretty poor choices in his life. Yeah. He started out, things were you know things seemed to be going really well. He was given a lot of wisdom, but he made some really poor choices. He started running after pleasure and possessions, and even chasing after wisdom, wisdom of this world. And he realized that all those things didn't add up to anything. Yeah, I think as I'm as I'm getting into you know well into my thirties, I think when I was in my early thirties, I felt like I was almost still in my twenties, but <laughs> definitely, definitely as I'm getting well into my thirties, it started, these sort of things are some of the things I start thinking about. I've I found the last number of years, I've gotten really nostalgic for <laughs> um, my childhood. I don't know why exactly. <laughs> I, I never was really a nostalgic person before, but it seems like my mind keeps going in that direction. And I think some of that is simply because as we get older, we we start out when we're young and, and we're very innocent. And I, I think that's right. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but as we as we get older, we become more conscious of things that maybe our, our parents protected us from or we just simply experience it more. And we realize there's death, there's disease, um, there's people suffering. And I think that's part of the reason why I become no. Uh, become so nostalgic is I'm remembering what was in a sense a simpler time. I don't know that it was better. Uh, there were still bad things happening back in the late 80s, early 90s, but at least for me, they felt much simpler. I didn't have as many cares and concerns, and now it seems like the cares and concerns keep piling up. Every <laughs> every year, there's more more things I'm aware of and more things to worry about and more things I'm responsible for. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's God's way of, of wanting us, of, of helping us long for heaven. I don't know. Yeah. As more and more of these things pile up, we get our, our, our physical bodies get weaker and weaker. So it, it <laughs> we don't have the, the strength of youth <laughs> to deal with all of this stuff. Yeah. But I guess we have experience and wisdom maybe instead. Is there a difference between uh, Momento Mori and El- and uh, YOLO? <laughs> you only live once? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that Memento Mori, at least the way that I think of it, is more of a kind of a reflective type of viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Looking ahead and knowing knowing what's coming and saying, where am I now? Am I prepared? What can I do? It at least for me, it helps me think. What is most important? Mm-hmm. And and there's plenty of things that I'm involved in that aren't that important. And it helps me think. I need to set aside time because because when you're younger, it it's it's like there's always another there's always another summer, there's always another winter, there's always another opportunity. I mean, there's still you know, we still have at least. We're maybe halfway through our lives right now, mm-hmm. um, halfway to 70. Mm-hmm. It, we, we both know many people that are in their 70s and are still living very, very good lives. So yeah. <laughs> we could likely, we're, we're not even halfway through. Um, but I think I'm becoming more conscious of time is not always going to, there's, there's not going to always be more time. Mm-hmm. And so I have to think more intentionally about spending time with my family, setting aside special times to 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 celebrate together to mm-hmm. to to spend time at the park because there's no guarantee there's going to be another another summer or even if there will be many more summers there's only a certain number of them until my children are grown up and moved on mm-hmm. and then yolo i would say is 
You only live once. You need to pack as much stuff into life, as many crazy experiences as possible. It's kind of a dismissive. You only live once. It doesn't matter. Um, at least that's kind of how I think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think too that uh, the the idea of, of YOLO is a bit more selfish and maybe nihilistic. Like you you need to visit all the beautiful places in the world. Uh, you know, as early as you can, because it, it may be the only chance you have. And after this, there's nothing. So you're you're filling filling life with um, entertainment or or you know whatever whatever makes you feel good, because there this is the only chance you have to feel good. But I think what you're saying is where we where we want to be. Uh, we do only live once if we can bear that in mind in a way of how it affects others, which is, yeah, such a Christian perspective is, is how my life is affecting other people. And you mentioned about going to the park. What what we're doing, what we're thinking about is a gift to others, giving, giving your boys, for example, the gift of a memory, the gift of security, the gift of, love which you know provides them a foundation to build the rest of their life on you know what would be the point if you spent every waking hour away from home at work uh, pursuing your own stuff and uh, lost these years with your boys Mm -hmm. so thinking about death realizing time is running out there's a there's a sand timer somewhere for me (laughs) and you know, God can see how many grains of sand are left at the top. We can't. So we need to make the most of, of what we got left. How then do we, I'm, I'm curious how, how we can look at death, look at separation, loss, our own end, and not feel the sense of, uh, I don't know, just like, what's the point? You know, why am I going through life, putting all this energy into life when when I'm going to die and turn that cycle over to to my son who's going to go through life struggling and struggling against all of these things, uh, fighting against death until it conquers, and then his son is going to repeat the same cycle. Like, why even bother? Why have children? Why not just <laughs> let it all end? Yeah, yeah, I've I've kind of heard that sort of idea and sometimes I'll think about it and that the state of the world where it is right now and the world has always had issues um I sometimes get frustrated with people that act like this at this very point right now the world is just especially bad and messed up <laughs> certainly certainly there are certain areas that maybe you could argue that it's worse now than it's been before the the truth remains that it definitely you're bringing children into a world that has has a lot of things that are messed up, and I think that's part of what death brings to me. Is it? It reminds me that we are living in a fallen world. Um, you know, when mm-hmm. when God created the world, He said it was very good, mm-hmm. but it's no it's no longer very good. I mean, there are certainly there are certainly many things about the world that are that are still good, that still show the handiwork of the creator, but there's now disease, there's, there's, there's hunger, famine. Um, I think one thing that there used to be, um, in the early to mid thousands, you'd see these stickers on the back of vehicles that says life is good. And I think there was somebody in my youth group one time that I kind of took to task for that. And I was probably being a little self-righteous and I was like, no, life is not good. Life is Life is hard. Life is a struggle. Life is bad, and I was maybe, <laughs> I was maybe leaning a bit too much into my teenage angst and uh, nihilism at that point. But I still kind of agree with with what I with what I said back then. We, I think it's good for us to acknowledge the brokenness of the world, rather than trying to kind of stick our head in the sand and say, no, it's actually great. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure what the what the balance is between the the true blessings that God gives us, and there's places we've talked about this before. We believe that that God wants us to enjoy some of the blessings that He gives us: the blessing of food, the blessing of family, 
the blessing of not necessarily entertainment, but but leisure time, playing softball with friends and family, but then also keeping in mind that this life isn't that you know this isn't the end goal is to get as much pleasure crammed into every moment of our day. Um, there's there's something beyond. There's something greater that we need to be aiming for instead. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if I answered your question. I kind of went a bit far afield, but. Tell me not in mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream, for the soul is dead that slumbers, and the th- and things are not what they seem. Mm-hmm. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its skull. Dust thou art to dust returnest was not spoken of the soul. Mm-hmm. And we could go on reading uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's A Psalm of Life. Yeah, I hear what you're saying life <laughs> your your teenage self might have felt that life wasn't really that great <laughs> but 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 life is is real and 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 full and and rich and i think god wants us to have a, a rich experience but it does have these oh, how does uh the that poem say like muffled drums are leading funeral marches to the grave. And mm-hmm. so there's this this undercurrent throughout life that is telling us that, that there's an end coming. Mm-hmm. Some days, for me, life feels really long. Uh, I was thinking about being halfway through life uh, just earlier this week. Maybe it was because of your uncle's passing that I was pondering this. I don't know. And realizing that, ah, uh, I might have 35 more years or more to go. And I've already gone through some difficult moments. Do I want to go through 35 more years of that? <laughs> <laughs> and so I might end up being a fairly grumpy old man. I don't know. <laughs> it just seems like it could be a really long time. For other people, it's like, oh, I only have 30, 30 something years left. That's not very much. But ever since I was young, I remember talking about this when I was around, even before I was 10, how I just really longed to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I remember around that time in my life, there were some uh, super, super difficult things that had happened all within about uh, two years time in in our little family. And as a as a nine-year-old, I was like, to have to live to be 80 or 100 with this sort of stuff i just i didn't want that and and i would talk with my with my siblings or my parents about how i just wish that life could be over and i could be with jesus not in a uh, <laughs> not in a necessarily suicidal way but just like <laughs> I, I want i want something better than than where we are do you know the poem would we truly long for heaven Oh, it sounds familiar, but I'm I'm not sure if I've read it before or not. I heard this poem when I was maybe closer to twelve years old. For the I heard it for the first time, and the the idea is well, the first stanza says, "Would we truly long for heaven if this life was perfect here? If we had no pain or heartache? If we never shed a tear?" And then goes on to talk about if we didn't have disappointments, if we had no cherished loved ones waiting at the Eastern gate, if, you know, if the sun were always shining and so on, one stanza says, if our precious family circle never was broken here below, would we truly long for heaven where our loved ones we shall know? Mm-hmm. And that really struck me. I wasn't a teenager yet, but I, I wondered if if that was all that was making me long for heaven was just like good stuff or, or seeing my grandpa again or, you know, whatever that sort of thing. At the end, the poem says, yes, dear savior, we are longing to be safe on heaven's shore. And these trials only make us long for heaven more and more. And we see that you are using every trial of each day as a tug from heaven's anchor, just to pull us heaven's way. Yeah, written by Elizabeth Drudge. I'll try to include a link to that in the in the notes. I think God did not intend for things for us to have a bad earth experience. <laughs> that was kind of our our choice, I suppose. 
uh, as humanity. But the fact is that it is a bad experience. Mm-hmm. And when when we think about where it says in, in Romans 8 that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, this is one example, I think, of how he uses death and loss and separation and pain and all of these things that should make us just give up in despair as a way to, like that poem says, just tug us gently even more towards a longing for heaven and a longing to, to go home. So maybe not maybe not the perfect intent he had when he created the world, but it's the perfect ending that he has, uh, the perfect uh, <laughs> through line that he has as yeah. we go through life. Thinking about your 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 current loss with your uncle, there's a funeral coming up really soon. What is your relationship to funerals? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I mean, do you want to expand what you're what you're asking? Hmm. What am I asking? Well, I have I have some friends who almost seem excited. That when there's a funeral, like okay, uh, you know, there's a there's a funeral there's a funeral in my extended family, and we're gonna go and and you know get to see Aunt Bertha for the last time before we before the burial, and I'll be with all my cousins. We get to be with the family. Then there's kind of the other end of the extreme where I know people who absolutely refuse to go to funerals huh. uh, because they can't. I don't know. There's some. I, every person has their individual experience, but there's something that they can't quite deal with or cope with okay. in, in going to a funeral. So where maybe where do you fall <laughs> on that spectrum? I think maybe that's more my question. Yeah, <laughs> probably probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I uh, I'm not much for crying at funerals. In fact, well, I'm not much for crying. It causes rust, <laughs> doesn't? Yeah, uh, I'm not much for crying anyway. I mean, it's not that I try not to cry. It's that it they just won't work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Those pesky tear ducts. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I uh, I mean, I don't enjoy going to them, but most of the ones that I've been to, I felt quite certain where where the people that had died were. Mm-hmm. So I haven't really been to many funerals where I feel like the person was was quite obviously lost. Yeah. If I would have been to a number of those, I think I would probably view funerals a bit more negatively. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, it is kind of a time of remembrance and closure that it's not enjoyable. I would prefer not to do it, but it's not necessarily something to be avoided, I would say. And it doesn't... I mean, a lot of times I go, and especially when the grave is being filled or I'm seeing... Um, I'm thinking specifically of, of my other uncle that died five years ago. I really didn't cry that much. Until I saw my uh, my cousin, his uh, uh, yeah, one of my cousins crying, and then that is kind of what got me going mm-hmm. <laughs> was seeing them reacting to it. It wasn't necessarily me reacting to the death myself, but seeing seeing their reaction, being more em- empathetic. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting that you say how your experience may have changed if you had been at funerals where there is a question about the the final destiny of the person. I think in my case, the majority of the funerals that I have been at, I have wondered, I ha- I have either been very sure or or have wondered that if the person was not ready to meet God. So for me, I do not enjoy funerals. I prefer not to go like, I, you know, I would, I would go if it were my immediate family sort of thing, but I'm not the sort of person who's just uh, excited about going to all the funerals of my extended extended family or friends and relations. <laughs> I don't I don't understand this idea in in, in our Anabaptist culture. There's this uh, thing where when when someone passes, that there is uh, viewing and visitation for a couple of days. And the line to to go through to see the the casket or the person in the casket can be hours and days long, <laughs> depending on on how big the family is. And that you will not find me in that line. Huh. 
I, I prefer to comfort people, you know, a week after the mm-hmm. funeral rather than be one of a thousand going through and shaking their numb hands. But that's, that's my own, <laughs> my own thing. But yeah, going to a funeral is, is tough for me because it really makes death real and when death is real to me one of the things that i really wrestle with is the sheer number of people who are going into death unprepared in my experience there is a lot of a great number of people that i love dearly who are living life in a way that does not prepare them for the end that makes it tough for me to to deal with and think about the future but maybe it is still good for me to you know have that that push to to want to talk with those people and to want to you know tell them about what Jesus has done for me and that there is hope in this life and there is hope after this life but yeah my my preference my my default is to avoid funerals <laughs> if possible yeah i can certainly certainly empathize with that somewhat because there's yeah i'm i'm definitely not one to go to i mean there's certain people that they 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 show up at almost every funeral mm-hmm. um in the area it seems like and that's not me i probably tend to be a little bit slower to go to the funerals and and maybe i need to be a bit more willing to go and and support than i do so that's that's something I've thought about and I'm not terribly proud about really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I say that I support the family by not exhausting them by uh, <laughs> being another person in line. Yeah. But then no, I want to be careful to to then remember I, something that I have done uh, already actually numerous times is to put into my calendar a year from when a person passes so that I can uh, connect with with a friend yeah. um, because they always remember it a year later and no one else does. So just throwing that out there as a tip to people listening mm-hmm. that you might be a better comfort uh, six months or a year from now or on the birthday of the, the lost person or, or something like that. So we've mostly focused on, on, on death here, thinking about death, maybe more about our own deaths than what I, that I, what I was expecting that we would. <laughs> but you mentioned this idea of you may not have a summer, uh, you may not have another summer, uh, and so spend the summer at the park with your, your boys, that idea. Mm-hmm. That idea was in my mind too, this idea uh, of separation in life and not having an opportunity with another person, not just because of death, but because of the diverging paths of life. Mm-hmm. So last week, my sister left Peru. She had been here for two years, a very integral part of the church. And she left, uh, hopefully, with uh, a future of marriage coming soon and starting her own, her own, or that season of life. And we don't know if she'll ever come back here. We don't know if we'll ever really see her again. Like when you let someone go in that way, the paths that diverge could be so, it's just infinite where where <laughs> they could go. Yeah. So I was thinking a little bit about separation versus seasons of life because there is this potential that right now, taking again the example of my sister, her life could go who knows where during this season of, of marriage, maybe raising a family, doing whatever they do in their in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. But it could very well be that in our 50s and 60s that those paths will, will come back together. Uh, that often has happened in, in families that I that I've bumped into anyway, where towards the end of life siblings end up uh, closer geographically than than before. So I was just I don't know if I have a specific question necessarily, but I wondered if you I guess have given any thought to seasons versus separation when it comes to the life part of life 
Yeah, I've definitely thought about that some. There's there's different people when I was in the youth group, I think especially. People that I went to school with, people that I was spent a lot of time with in the youth group that now, I mean, I haven't talked to them in decades. Or not not decades, I'm not that old. But <laughs> um, in the better part of a decade, you know, 10, 10, 15 years it's been since I really last talked to them, like talk, talk to them. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's kind of a sense of, of loss there as well. That was a relationship that was very special to me at that time. Right. And now it's gone. And there's all these jokes made about how difficult it is to make friends in your 30s. But it's it's not a joke necessarily when you're in your 30s and you want friends. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> but but those those are kind of gone. And I don't know that there's really much use trying to, to dredge those relationships back up. And you just kind of moved on. And that's I think that's just part of life mm-hmm. that you you were drawn together at a certain time by a certain event or geographical proximity or a certain interest and maybe you're not as interested in that particular thing anymore or you live six hours away from each other and so you kind of have have a new circle of friends and and a community so yeah I don't know if that answers your question or not but that's kind of how I think about it yeah I I am really embracing more and more this metaphor of seasons in life. I enjoy working in the garden, and at the end of the growing season, there's always this sense of loss that, you know, there's no more yellow squash, there are no more zinnias blooming, and we have the winter ahead. But I suppose I've learned a little bit when it comes to gardening to more just enjoy the zinnias taking using kind of stretching that metaphor a little bit when my older children were very young and we were just getting into gardening more as a family and the zinnias started blooming the little ones would want to pick them i mean that's what you do with flowers you kill them right away as soon as you see them (laughs) and i was like no you you leave them in the garden and and let them bloom it's this kind of the same idea of having your wedding china. I don't know if you're familiar, if, if you all did this, but there's this no. idea of you have your wedding china and you put it in a china cupboard and you never use it or only on your wedding anniversary sort of thing. I don't live life that way. Like we use the stuff that we have and we enjoy it. And I learned to do that with the zinnias. Pick them, put them on the table, let them die in two days, like Ecclesiastes <laughs> says, and but enjoy really, you know, really soak up the the beauty of that zinnia while you have it. And I'm trying to learn to do that with the seasons of life and the people that are in those seasons, because the the season with my sister here in Peru was was only two years. That's kind of short when you think about. Uh, the life of a church or the life of a family or whatever, but it was something that we had, and we we knew when she, when she came as a young single lady that Lord willing she wouldn't stay as a young single lady forever. Yeah, <laughs> and so you just try to yeah just enjoy the beauty of that season, and then when it ends, let it go, knowing that God is going to bring another season. Uh, of of something beautiful and you don't know what that is yet maybe you have to go through a little bit of winter but something beautiful is going to going to come again and so i think for me separation particularly with you know living far away from lots of people that i knew before or are related to <laughs> still is not not viewing it like Okay, when when my sif- when my sister left, I didn't just like break down in tears and like, you know, I may never see her again. What great <laughs> loss! But it was just like buy until later, yeah, sort of sort of feeling. Yeah. Well, I was just listening to a podcast. It was talking about the airline industry, and it was saying that that air travel, which used to be this kind of a luxury for the rich. Or if you saved up a lot of money, you could maybe fly once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before, when people, you know, before we had widespread worldwide transportation, if you had missionaries that traveled down to Peru, for instance, let's use a hypothetical, um, not at all <laughs> uh, true thing, right. um, then 
you basically, you said goodbye and you had no idea if you'd ever see them again. Right. Because it would take them six months or, you know, three to six months on a ship to get down there. And you couldn't afford to travel down there with them. Or even hearing about their, even hearing about their death wasn't a guaranteed, you know, if something went wrong, you might hear about it (laughs) a year later. So, yeah, so you'd be lucky if you heard about their death. Right. Um, That's kind of an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, you were talking about seasons, and it's something that I've become really conscious of. I think, I don't know that I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. I might have mentioned it to you in a message one time. But I'm really becoming much more conscious of the seasons than I ever have before. And I think a lot of it is largely due to covid Mm-hmm. So we were just, it was the first part of first, the middle part of March, right about now, mm-hmm. three years ago. And actually it's almost exactly three years ago, I think, yeah. I mean, within about a week to when things started closing down. Yeah. And we were just going into spring and all of a sudden there was almost nothing to do. <laughs> there was no getting together with groups of people. I wasn't going into work anymore. I was working from home. Mm-hmm. I just had way more time all of a sudden to just pay attention to everything that was around us. And we, we, we spent a lot of time that year going to parks. You couldn't really go to businesses uh, that much and you had to wear masks. And so we decided to just go to a park and walk around. And so we could see, Oh, this bush is blooming. Now it wasn't blooming a week ago. This it's almost like time slowed down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it, to a certain extent, part of that time slowing down or focusing on the seasons changing, I think I'm much more aware of now than I ever was before. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what sort of a metaphor that is for seasons of life, but I think I'm also much more aware of seasons of life than I was before. I threw into uh, chat GPT about the effect of death on people <laughs> okay it, it was yeah it was just interesting to me the the responses there was five point response about the way it affects people grief depression anxiety behavioral change uh, physical symptoms illness uh, due to due to death and that of course made me think about you've already mentioned Ecclesiastes and something I pull out of the book of Ecclesiastes is um, all is vanity like there's there's just like no purpose Mm -hmm. so how does our view of death how does your view of death differ from uh, chat GPT or (laughs) even Solomon and Ecclesiastes like is there any difference yeah I think so I mean definitely with chat GPT I'm guessing is not much of a idea of there's something afterwards, there's something that's better. <laughs> yeah. So that's probably the biggest thing. As far as Solomon, I'm not sure. Um, the, you know, Ecclesiastes tends to be fairly dark and depressing for the most part, but there are some parts where there's some like glimpses of hope, glimpses mm-hmm. of that there is meaning, there is, and I'm not quite sure what to make of Ecclesiastes. Um, it was from Solomon and... He he had just gone through a time of life, like I said, where he had made some poor choices, and he was he was kind of dealing with his life up to that point. I don't know that he was necessarily saying this is you know life is actually completely meaningless and useless. I don't know if he was more reflecting on how he was feeling about his life to that point, or how it's easy for us to feel about our lives as well. So, yeah, I'm not totally sure. I would say that I'm more hopeful, likely, maybe, than the writer of Ecclesiastes, but I'm not I'm not sure. Um, I don't know what you what your thoughts are. Yeah, I was privileged to have to do a uh, a study on the book of Ecclesiastes and then write a series of lessons from it a number of years ago. And that was one of my tougher uh, job assignments, I think trying to find the, the, the hope and purpose in Ecclesiastes. What I came away with is that Ecclesiastes is where I would be without Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Solomon was an extremely wise man as far as men go, as, as far as human knowledge and so on and so forth. 
but he was without Jesus. I think about where Jesus said that the the sons of God are wiser than than uh, oh how is that phrase now? But the idea is that because of our connection to God and His Word and His principles, we are wiser than than even the studied people of of the earth is kind of the uh, the idea behind that. And I think we can be wiser even than Solomon, the wisest person to ever live, because of our connection to to Jesus. For me, life is not vain. I don't have the response that Chat GPT does of of you know this just this depression and anxiety and so yeah. on when I think about death, either because uh, we have God and and we don't grieve the way that unbelievers grieve. Even when we know that someone has has uh, died without God, there we still carry a hope within us for ourselves and for those who are still living. And so, while I don't enjoy funerals, I don't mind the idea of death. At the same time, it's something that I look forward to, as only a thirty-five-year-old can say, I suppose. I don't look forward to necessarily having arthritis or or whatever, but or whatever might come along in my old age. But I do look forward to going from from this temporary existence to something far greater, and, and I'm just so thankful that I have that hope in Jesus. Yeah, I think that's that sums it up pretty well. Um, that yeah, with with Christ things can appear meaningless and hopeless and this world can seem very broken and in a sense it is but the fact is that we have hope and that hope doesn't a lot of times doesn't seem to be terribly evident in ecclesiastes and certainly is not terribly evident in a lot of the the people in the world that don't believe that there's something after this life here on this earth yeah it makes me think about uh two stanzas from the psalm of life that i would like to read real quickly uh he says toward the end trust no future however pleasant let the dead past bury its dead act act in the living present heart within and god or head and then let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate still achieving still pursuing learn to labor and to wait. Yeah, I also want to read something from Ecclesiastes. And as I was doing my study for the devotional, yeah, there's a lot of vanity, vanity, all is vanity. But, and there's one section in chapter two where Solomon is talking about the futility of our labors, Mm -hmm. the futility of what we're doing here on this earth. But then in chapter three, He kind of turns that around a little bit, and I just kind of want to go ahead and read this and maybe leave you all with this. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, Mm. except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God.